Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here in Westchester. Thank you, Jim, for all of the kind words that you just said to me. Hopefully, I won't disappoint you. I have a microphone on, so yeah. All right, we're good. Good. Is that all right? Is this going to bother you? Because this might bother me, but uh, I don't care. All right. It's great to be here. Um, you know, I don't know if you, I'm sure you know this, the New York City Church of Christ is a very large church, a very big church, and we, every Sunday, we have 11 geographical church services all throughout the metropolitan area, all the boroughs and then all the suburbs. And of course, you guys are the Westchester region of the New York City Church of Christ. Across the river, uh, my wife and I lead the Hudson Valley region of the, one of the other 11 regions, which makes up, yep, all right, we got a few fans of Hudson Valley, good, awesome which is primarily Rockland County and Orange County. We have people that go beyond that, but that's primarily what it is. And uh, I live in Nyack, and so I literally live right across the river from you guys. And uh, it is just, it's great to be here. I have so many great memories being in Westchester. Of course, we love uh, Jim and Teresa very much. They, uh, they, They mentored my wife and I for so many years in life, in marriage, in ministry, and everything else. And uh, have helped us so much and and, uh, are just very close friends of ours. And uh, we're so grateful for that. Uh, As uh, Jim mentioned, too, I did become a Christian here in Westchester County. I moved here in 1994. Uh, It was a very dark, dark time of my life. Uh, I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because I don't want to cry. But um, it just was a dark time of my life. And uh, But thankfully, thank God I became a Christian. But I also made some of the closest friends uh, during that time. People who helped me, I see David Pell right there, uh, Joe Cusado, Conrad. Um, we were roommates for a little while in Thornwood. Uh, we had a house with too many people living in it, if, you're, if you remember that. Yep, you remember that. Um, so it just, I mean, just incredible foundation for my spiritual life. And I'm so grateful every time I see these guys and uh, I'm thankful for them and the love that they've showed to me through the years. And it just coming back, it just, it just, uh, I don't know, it just, it just it strengthens my faith to see the faces of so many people that I love very, very deeply, to see them being faithful, to still be faithful myself to God, and uh, it is just, it's good, um, it's good to be here. So, uh, today I'm going to talk about the Master's Method. That's the title of my lesson today, The Master's Method. I'm going to cover a lot of ground. I talk fast anyway, so if for any reason you missed something that I said, I can give you my notes. Or, you know, I think it's being recorded. You can go back and listen to it, rewind it, and listen to it again. But we're going to talk about the Master's Method. You know, when Jesus came to this planet, He had a plan. When Jesus came here, He had a plan. About the age of 30 is when He began His ministry, His public ministry. He didn't come out of the womb preaching the Word of God. It wasn't until He was older, about the age of 30, that He started His ministry. And then He died about the age 33. So those three years... He didn't just kind of hang out and do nothing while he was waiting to die on the cross. He actually, from when you study the Scriptures, it looked like he really had a plan as to what he was trying to do. And his plan eventually changed the world. And his plan, other than just dying for our sins, which was a huge part of his plan, his plan to train people and to pick people and to help them uh, is something that we feel the effects of today, years later. He picked 12 guys and he trained them. And he taught them so that after he left the planet, there would be then 12 Jesuses doing. Instead of just one, there'd be 12. And then they would go and do his plan. And when they did his plan, then they would duplicate and there'd be more and more people. And the truth is, today, 
thousands of years later, on a completely different continent, a different time in life, we can still imitate this plan. There's nobody here that's Jesus, alright? We're not claiming that. But we're saying that we can still imitate the principles of Jesus' plan. We can learn them no matter where we are. Whether we work full-time in the ministry like me, or whether you work full-time in the ministry but have another job on the side as well. Wherever you are in life, whatever you're doing, you and I can still imitate the principles in this plan, and we can still have some success in our lives and still imitate and emulate Jesus in our lives. So, today, when you look at those 12 guys that Jesus picked, they were very different people. Right? They weren't all the same people. They were very different. One of them was actually a federal employee. That was Matthew. Uh, one of them was a political activist. That was Simon the Zealot. A couple of them were just normal laborers. Uh, that was Peter, Andrew, James, John. Their father had a business. You know, and so some of them were related to each other physically, some of them were not. Uh, but the truth is, no matter how, vari- how, how varied their background was, the truth is, the truth is, they were all at some time or another losers. <laughs> they had no spiritual pedigrees. It's not like Jesus said, Ah, oh, Peter, you know, I really appreciate what you did over there in Bethlehem, and I'd like to bring you on board. No, there was none of that. These guys had nothing. They were nobodies except for one thing. They shared a similar heart. That's what made this plan work. It wasn't their background. It wasn't their education. It wasn't their training. It wasn't their perfection. It wasn't that they did everything right. It's just they had the same heart. And that's what made the plan work. So the question for you and I today is this, that I'd like to pose to us is this. If Jesus were here again, this, this time, this place, this year, if Jesus were here again and was picking His twelve again, would He pick you? Not based again on your background, your successes, your failures, your ups, your downs. Not, not based on, but based just on your heart. Would Jesus pick you. So what I want to do today is I want to look at three aspects of the heart that these guys had so that we can learn and hopefully put into practice, implement these principles in our hearts so we can also put into practice the master's method. So let's look here at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. As we look at these different as we look at these these different characteristics of the heart that these men had and ask ourselves, would Jesus pick us? Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When He finished, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught His disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive uh, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. One of the first characteristics that you see in the hearts of these men that Jesus pulled into his circle, that these hearts of the, these men that Jesus chose, is they all had the heart that said this, teach me. They had a heart that said, teach me. Now, when you read this story, Jesus was praying, right? And after He was done praying, one of His disciples came up and said, Lord, 
teach us to pray. You know, John taught his disciples, you teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, and he goes on and gives them a model of a means to pray. Now, you don't have to just, this is not the only way to pray. In fact, all throughout the Bible, people pray in multiple different ways. So this is more of a model. This is not, you know, the exact prayer you have to say every day. You can. It's a great prayer. It's right from Jesus. But it's a way to pray, and that's what Jesus is teaching his followers here. But, you know, the amazing thing when you think about this story is that because these were disciples of Jesus, they likely were Jewish men. In fact, Jesus' disciples back then were all Jewish. And so because they were Jewish, it's probably safe to assume that they had prayed before. So they probably grew up praying. And so the fact that they come to Jesus, and it's probably a safe conclusion, a safe assumption that they had prayed before, but they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. It really shows an incredible amount of humility. And it shows this kind of heart that says, teach me. Teach me. Now, Now, even if I'm wrong, though, even if they never, ever prayed, even if they never ever had prayed before, they saw Jesus, that was the first time they ever saw a prayer, and they're like, wow, teach me. Even if they do that, it still takes a lot of humility to ask somebody to teach you a basic, basic thing. That's what prayer is. Prayer is one of the basic tenets of being a Christian. It's talking to God. It's praying. So even if they never prayed before, it still required a lot of humility to come and say, hey, Teach me something really basic. You know, I have a college degree from Syracuse University. Yeah. Come on. There it is. That's the best response I think I've gotten ever. Unless I'm in Syracuse, I usually hear nothing. All right? It's like, come on. So I have a four-year degree from Syracuse, but unlike most people, I decided to go, uh, I decided to squeeze this four-year degree into 11 years and um, to really savor my degree. I worked on it out of high school, then I took a break for a long time, and then I eventually finished it. And I didn't just go to Syracuse, I went to actually multiple different schools, but I ended up at Syracuse, and that's where my degree is from, and yes, I am a diehard orange fan. But one, time, one of the requirements that, that they had was this, this sequence of math classes in order to get this degree. You had to, take, uh, you had to take a sequence. And I chose to take a pre-calculus class and then a calculus class, right? But what I did was I took the pre-calculus class right out of high school. I was 18 years old. Right out of high school, you know, first year of college, I took the pre-calculus class. And, and it was great. Everything was fine. And then... At the end, when I'm almost done with my college degree, 11 years later, I realized, oh man, I need that other math class. So I went ahead and signed up for a calculus class. Now, you don't, I don't know if you know much about how they work, but they're made to be taken together, right? You take one and then you take the other one right afterwards because they build on each other. And so... I show up at class with my, you know, my graphing calculator that they require you to have. I don't know if they still require that or not with, with, with iPads and all that kind of stuff. But, but they, they used to require this calculator. You spent a, a crazy amount of money on it, with, and you'd never use it ever again in your life unless you were going to teach calculus one day. But, you know, I, so I show up with this calculator and this graphing calculator, and I show up 11 years later to my calculus class. I'm the, clearly, other than the professor, I'm the oldest guy in the class by far. And I'm sitting there and day one, the professor just jumps right into it. 
just dive right in. All right, everybody, great, great to have you. All right, go ahead and, and uh, graph out this this uh, this equation. He puts this equation in, and, and then he puts the, he graphs it on his calculator, and it's up on the screen, and everybody's punching away in their calculators. And you can see, and he says, you know, you can see here with the vector of the niner fiver Roger over, you know, and he's and he's like talking, and then like. And everybody's with him, and they're all following along. And here I am, 11 years after my last calculus class, sitting there going, oh, man. And um, so I raised my hand. And I said, uh, Professor, um, can you show me how to turn this on? Where is the... And true story, everybody in the class did exactly what you're doing right now. They laughed at me. That's right. They laughed at Jesus, too. That's cool. <laughs> but my point is this. It takes a degree of humility to raise your hand and ask a basic question. And that's what these guys are doing here. They're raising their hand and saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. One of the characteristics of the disciples that Jesus chose is they had a heart that says, Teach me. Do you have a teach me sort of heart? Do you have the humility to learn? I know that many of us have been Christians a long time and there's a lot of stuff we know. And you don't have to pretend like you don't know stuff you know. All right? I'm not saying play dumb for the sake of having a good heart. But I'm saying look deep in your heart and your soul and go, okay, what don't I know? And have the humility to open yourself up to be taught. Do you take responsibility for your relationship with God? Or do you blame everybody else? Or blame everything else for where you're at? That's not a teach me heart. A teach me heart says, teach me. I own it. This is where I'm at. Help me be better. That's the kind of heart that these guys had. They had a heart that says, teach me. Do you have a teach me heart? You know, I think too many of us, we show up at church and we say, hey mom, what's for midweek? Right? You know, we're just like, ah, just feed me. Alright, come on, I'm here. Just stick in my mouth. Ah, the Word of God. Ah, alright, perfect. Mmm, that was good. And don't, don't get me wrong, there, there is a need to come and be fed, and that's certainly what we need to do. But that's not the only time you should be being fed. You and I gotta take responsibility. We've gotta take some initiative for our spiritual life. We need to pursue Jesus. We need to pursue people who can teach us about Jesus. We need to have a quiet time. You need to dig in the Scriptures. Some of us don't even know the Bible that well. We don't even know the Bible that well. And that makes me nervous and it makes me afraid because that's what we base everything on. We're not doing it based on the latest idea in, in what's good in social planning and groups. We're basing it on the Bible. That is the foundation of what we do. Some of us don't know the Word of God that well. Let me, let me demonstrate. Turn over to uh, Hezekiah chapter 6. Yeah, there is no Hezekiah chapter 6. That's my point. Were you turning? Were you turning? That's my point. Hezekiah is in the Bible, but he was a king. He's not a book, and there's certainly not six chapters. I'm just saying this stuff takes time. And you've got to open your heart up, and you've got to have the willingness to be taught. Jim, were you, did you get sucked in, Jim? Were you looking? Oh, bro, I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry, Jim. He's like, there must be something wrong with my laptop because Hezekiah... Hezekiah is not in here. 
We gotta have a teach me heart. Do you take responsibility for the, the condition of your spiritual life? That's what, that's what people do when they have a teach me heart. Second Timothy 2 verse 22, which is in the Bible. You can turn there. I won't do that to you again today. It says, uh, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call out of the, uh, call out, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Pursue righteousness, faith. Pursue it. You, you pursue it. Don't wait for it to get you. You go after it. You go after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Pursue them. The master's method requires people who say, teach me. Teach me. Again, if Jesus were here again today, picking his twelve, would he pick you? Teach me. Second one. Look in Luke chapter 9. Let's just turn back a page or two. Luke chapter 9. Beginning in verse 1, it says, When Jesus called the twelve together, He gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet and you can leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Sorry, that was Luke chapter 9. Is that what I said? Okay, good. Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. And then verse 10, skipping down, it says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Alright, so here you see the second thing that I think Jesus was looking for in, his, in, in the heart. Again, he's not looking for a pedigree. He's not looking for accomplishments. He's not looking for your best day. What he's looking for in you and me is a heart that says, teach me. And then he's looking for a heart that says, train me. Teach me and train me. In this passage I just read you, Jesus sent out 12 guys. He sent out 12 guys to do what? to preach and to heal. What had Jesus been doing prior to that? Well, if you look back in chapters 4 through 8 of Luke, you see that Jesus had been preaching and healing. So Jesus does it for four chapters, and then by chapter 9, He gathers the guys around Him and says, Okay, guys, you've been seeing Me do it. Now it's your turn. You go out and do exactly what I've been doing. And then not only that, he calls them back, he gathers them back together in verse 10, and they report back to him. This is training. Here's what you go do, and then come back and let's talk about how it went. There is a difference between teaching and training. Teaching is an imparting of knowledge, a sort of a transfer of ideas. And teaching is important. Refer back to the first point I just made. But training involves preparation for a specific task or a job. And that's what Jesus is doing with these guys. Jesus taught everybody, but He only trained a few. You see, Jesus' method involved teaching and training. You know, in our fellowship here, if you've been around for any period of time, we call it discipling. Discipling. Discipling is a is a the verb form of the noun of a disciple. Discipling is the act of making a disciple. Uh, discipling it involves training. Now, again, if you've been around for any period of time and you're like me in any way, sometimes you can get freaked out 
by discipling, right? Because though it is a good thing and a godly thing and a biblical thing, some of us have had some bad experiences with people, not with Jesus, but with people, right? And and so we've got sort of, you know, someone says, well, how, you know, what about getting discipled? We're like, oh, you know, we like twitch, you know, like, you know, like something happens, you're like, ah, ooh. You're like, well, what do you mean, bro? What are you talking about? I remember being at a state like this in my life a couple years ago, and I was at another church, not here, but another church, and a brother, an elder in the church came to me and said, Phil, you know, this is, he's talking to me as an evangelist, an elder comes to me as an evangelist and said, Phil, who's discipling you? And I was like, Jesus, bro. <laughs> To which he responded, oh, well, I guess we should be expecting a lot more out of you then. And I was like, I was like, all right, that's cool. You win. That's why you're an elder. (laughs) Because some of us, we get freaked out when we talk about discipling. But the truth is, we do training in every other area of our lives. It's really not weird. It's only weird if you make it weird. It's very normal to get trained. It's very normal to go to someone who knows what they're doing and ask them questions. Years ago, my wife and I renovated a master bathroom in our house. We did everything. We we tore it apart down to the studs. And we did everything. It took too long. It took way too long. And I probably will never do that again in my life. But along the process, when I would get stuck, you know what I'd do? I'd call a brother at the church who was a contractor. I'd say, hey, bro. Uh, how do I do this? Or how do I do this? Or what's the code for this? Or what do I have to do here? And then he would tell me and then I would go do it. And then when I got to church on Sunday and I saw him, guess what he would do? He'd ask me, hey, how'd it go? Did it work out? And I'd say, that's none of your business, bro. Why are you asking me? It's my bathroom. Is that what I said? No, that's not what I said. Of course I didn't say that. He was just following up. That's what training is. It doesn't have to be weird. It can be very normal. Listen, would you go to a doctor who hasn't gone through training in a little while? Would you? If you sat down with your doctor, he's like, ah, I see you have a rash, but don't worry, I have a can of leeches over here. We'll take care of that. He'd be like, no, don't put your leeches on me. That's not how they handle rashes now, right? It's okay. People get training and that's what Jesus was looking for. He was looking for a heart that said, teach me and train me. That's what He was looking for. You know, training requires accountability. You know, I don't know you that well, but I know people well enough that I know that some of us, we have zero accountability in our life right now. External accountability. Zero external accountability. We sort of do whatever we want. You know, we come and go as we please. We are, we, we, we're not accountable to anybody or anything. We just sort of do our own thing. Listen, in the church, that's why God gave us some structure. That's why God gave us leadership. That's why we have Bible talk leaders and evangelists and elders. That's why we have church services. Is it's a time to help, to help give us some accountability. Hopefully there's somebody that will, you know, you haven't been to church in a while. Hopefully somebody calls you. Hopefully, if they don't, that's not good, right? If you didn't show up for a couple of weeks and nobody talked to you, that's not good. 
That's not, we need some accountability. We need some training. We need this. But listen, no amount of structure will help you and help me unless we have first the attitude, the heart of train me. Teach me and train me. Nobody here is Jesus, as I said before. We're not trying to replace Jesus. We're just trying to implement His pattern, His method, the Master's method. And this is what He did, and this is what changed the world, and this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to put the Master's method into practice. Teach me and train me. God needs you to train to lead. God needs you to help take care of people. That's, that's God's chosen method, is using people to help people. That's what he chose. He didn't, he didn't have to do it that way. He could have just been like, oh, you're a Christian, great. Go stand over there until, until I'm done. No, he's like, oh, you're a Christian? All right, come on back in. we got some work for you to do. God's chosen method is to use people to help people. And what we are doing here is we are building God's church in New York. That's what we're doing. We're not trying to create a social club. We're not trying to be the next coolest, you know, neatest thing or whatever. I, I don't know what you kids, you, words you use these days. But, you know, actually none of the teens are here, right? They're all gone anyway. All right, so I can be, I can be weird. All right, so I don't know what, I don't know, I forgot what I was even saying. All right. We're not, we're trying to build God's church. That's what I was trying to say. We're not trying to be a club. We're not trying to be a social organization. We're trying to build God's church. And in order to build God's church, we need elders. We need evangelists. We need women's ministry leaders. We need Bible talk leaders. We need song leaders. We need ushers. We need deacons. We need board members. We need moms. We need dads. We need husbands. We need wives. We need people who can just lead someone to Christ. That's what we need. And nobody is born knowing this stuff. You have to be trained. Nobody comes out of the water and goes, Oh, I know how to be an elder. No, you don't. No. You and I, we have to be trained. The master's method involves people being willing to say, train me. Would Jesus pick you? Alright, my final point is this. Turn back a page to Luke chapter 8. You, you guys alright? I told you I'd go fast. Can you catch your breath? I need to catch my breath. Luke chapter 8. Beginning in verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. He turned to them and said, Hey guys, I know that was tough. That was really difficult. Thanks for hanging in there. Is that what he says? Verse 25, he turns to them and he says, Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even winds and the water, and they obey Him. In order to implement the Master's method, we have to have the heart the Master was looking for. The Master was looking for a teach-me heart. The Master was looking for a train-me heart. And the Master is looking for a 
change me heart. Teach me, train me, and change me. You know, this is an amazing story, this short little passage I just read to you. Because Jesus was always compassionate towards people. Always. People came to Jesus with weaknesses all the time. Some physical, some spiritual, all the time. And he was just, his default mode was compassion. He loved people and cared for people. But the one thing that I see as I study the life of Jesus that he just did not tolerate was faithlessness. Especially amongst his followers. I mean, here they are in a situation where they feel they're going to die. They're going to drown. And Jesus takes care of the situation. And what I would like Jesus to do is what I joked about earlier, is to say, hey, you guys okay? You guys all right? You made it through it all right? Yeah, that was a tough one. God, oh, good job. Good job hanging in. Thanks for calling out to me. Right, and getting me up out of bed. The only time I'm ever seen sleeping really in the Gospels. And you wake me up. Okay, thank you very much for doing that. You know, I... You know, good job. That's what I said. But Jesus looks at these guys who, who legitimately their life was in danger and says, why were you faithless? Why? Jesus expected faith. He demanded faith. And I think the bigger lesson, though, for us today is this. Is Jesus expected them to change. So you got to understand that these were men at this point in their walk with Jesus had seen many, many miracles. They had heard many, many teachings. They had seen all the amazing things that Jesus had done up to this point. But when it came to their lives, suddenly it didn't apply. When it came to their lives, suddenly they got scared. And so, although they witnessed every, other people's life changing and all the great teachings and all the great things that Jesus did, at this point, when it came to them, they're like, I don't know if God's big enough. And what Jesus was expecting from them is that they would internalize it too. That it wouldn't just be something that they helped others with, but it would be in them that they would believe it. All the teaching and training means nothing if it's not in your heart. Jesus expected them to change. For them to change. Them, in their hearts, to internalize it. Jesus wants people that say, change me. Change me. You know, Jesus is not looking for people who will just execute a set of rules. That's not the point of this. That's not what we're doing here. You know, all right, went to church, check. Sang a few songs, check. Hugged my three people, check. Said amen to that great sermon that I heard from that guy. Check, right? Okay, all right. Waiting. You haven't done that one yet. All right, yeah, still waiting. Verdict's still out, right? Okay, I got you. All right, hopefully. Amen, I got it. No, that's fair. It's not just a set of rules. That's not what we're doing here. He wants to change you. I have known people, and maybe you have too in my experience, I've known people that can plan a great church service, but can't forgive somebody who hurt them. You, you tell me, what is it that Jesus is really looking for? Someone who knows when the prayer should be and then when the welcome should be? Or somebody who can forgive somebody because they've been forgiven? What is Jesus after? He wants to change us. Hallelujah. Because I need to be changed. 
I'm spitting all over myself. Sorry about that, man. I'm like a rabid dog up here. He wants to change you. All of the teaching, all of the training is good, but it means nothing if it's not in your heart. If it's not who you are. Jesus wants people with heart to say, change me. You know, I think one of the greatest obstacles to real change in our life is we, we're too busy blaming people or blaming circumstances, aren't we? We're too busy pointing somewhere else going, see, that's why I'm the way I am today. You know, and listen, I know that we are around often difficult people and I know that we can be around and in difficult circumstances, but the whole point of the Bible, the whole point that comes up over and over and over and over and over in the Bible is that godly, godliness comes by choice in spite of people and in spite of circumstances. You will never have the right people and you'll never have the right circumstances around you all the time. But you and I got to choose to be faithful people. Look at Noah. Look at Moses. Look at Nehemiah, Deborah, David, Jeremiah, Joshua, Peter, Paul, Stephen, James, and of course, Jesus Himself chose to be godly people in spite of the circumstances around them. You know, the moment that we start blaming others is the moment you become an obstacle that someone else now has to overcome. Think about it. Alright? Okay. The moment when, when you blame others, that's the moment that you become an obstacle that someone else has to overcome. Don't do that. Own your condition. Whatever it is. Just own it. Yep, that's, that's where I am. Let other people own their condition. Just let them own it. That's, that's, what, that's the first step of changing. So, yep, here's where I'm at. Good, bad, ugly. That's it. That's it. That's who I am. Jesus wants people with the heart to say, change me. So, my question is this. Are you for real? Now, I know we're clapping and I know we're hugging and I know we're saying amen to that great sermon, right? Okay, I'm still, still, still talking. Now, I know, I know, I know, but, but that's not what we're looking for. I'm just asking, are you for real? I got invited uh, a couple years ago to a Brooklyn Nets basketball game. And uh, it was great. It was fun. I liked basketball. I was there. I had good seats. We were watching the game. They were winning. Everything was cool. And then I went to the bathroom during the game. And while I was in the bathroom, some, a couple guys, a, a guy I think started talking to me, which guys never do in the bathroom. But this guy was really fired up about the basketball game. And he's like, yeah, they're awesome, right? Having a good season, right? And I was really troubled because I'm not a Brooklyn Nets fan. I'm a New York Knicks fan, right? <laughs> But here I am at a Brooklyn, and I'm just there. You know, I like basketball. It's a good game. It's a free ticket. You know, hey, why not? So I was there, and I'm in the bathroom. The guy's like, it's awesome, isn't it? And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. He's like, yeah, these guys are, and he starts going into their stats and talking about different players, and I have no idea who he's talking about. I don't follow them. So I'm like, I am, and I'm just going, yeah, you know, it's, it's cool, man. Cool. Go New York or whatever. I'm like, yes, because I have no idea. And I'm sitting there feeling like a fraud at a next game. My fear is that we do that at church sometimes. We show up like, yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah, it's cool. Go Jesus. 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 You know? 
And it's not really inside of us. We don't let it really, really in. We put up a facade or we stay guarded or we keep our distance and we don't really, really let this stuff into our hearts. Are you for real? That's what God's looking for. You know, when you change, people can see it. There's a great verse in Acts 4.13. This is after Jesus died, after He came back from the dead, after He ascended into heaven, and now His men that He trained are out preaching. And it says in Acts 4, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, who were two of His men, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note, what? That these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? They saw Peter and John preaching, and they're like, wait, this reminds me of something. This reminds me of that guy, Jesus. That's what happens when it becomes real, when you really change, when it's not a set of rules that you do, but it's really who you are. When you beg God, God, please help me to change. Help me to be different. Help me to grow. And when you open yourself up, then you change and people look at you and they see Jesus. You know, you're at work. They see you. They may not say, hey, you remind me of that guy, Jesus. They may not say that, but they know something's different about you. They see you at school or they see you wherever you are. They're like, that person's different. And you know it's not you. It's Jesus. That's what happens when you really change. Jesus wants people with the heart to say, change me. Would Jesus pick you? This is the Master's method. Teach me. Train me. Chain me. Change me. Chain me. Chain. Unchain me. Alright? That's the other one I just didn't have time to get to. Teach me. Train me, change me. There's plenty that you and I already know. Of course. I'm not saying that you need to pretend like you don't know anything. But I'm saying that we need to take out a heart and have a, a willingness to grow and not stay where we are. No, whether you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time, you and I have got to have the heart to be willing to grow. The Master's method never required perfection. It just requires humility, hard work, and some faith. This stuff's not easy. It's hard to be a Christian. It is. I remember as we, I was thinking about this morning as, as I was coming to Manhattanville College years ago when I was a, I was young in my faith, Dave Appel, who's sitting right over there, Dave went to college here at Manhattanville, and I remember, uh, I would come and visit him in his dorm room, and he, um, he would sit in his dorm room and I'd come hang out and we would go share our faith with people on campus and we'd have Bible studies and we'd do all this stuff. And I remember one time at that point in my faith, I was really, really working on denying myself. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9 that if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. And I was really working on it. I'm like, just consciously like, am I denying myself? That's what Jesus said. I've got to deny myself, take up my cross. Really working on that. And one time I went to, to hang out with Dave here on campus, right here, yeah, at this school, in his dorm room, and, uh, and, and I got there, and it was late at night, and I was exhausted. And Dave was sitting in the chair across the room, in the dorm room, and so I laid on the bed, and I laid my head back, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just cannot stay awake. And Dave was talking, and, and I'm thinking, oh, i got to deny myself, right? You know, I'm like, amen. And so I thought, well, I'll just throw out a couple amens every once in a while, you know, and... <laughs> Just, I'm trying, I'm thinking, i got to deny myself, push myself, I can do this, is, this is what it means to be a disciple. And so I'm like, amen, so I'm laying there trying to not doze off with my eyes closed and, and, and just, amen, amen, amen. I think it was training for marriage down the road, but um, I'm just kidding. Uh, sorry, amen. My wife's not here, so uh, 
is this being, being recorded? All right, yeah, all right. So Dave is talking and he's talking and he's talking and, and he's just he's just he just he's talking and I'm like, Amen, 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 Amen. I'm throwing out because I'm thinking I got to deny myself and give and I, and finally Dave stopped talking. He goes, Phil, Phil, and I open my eyes. He goes, What are you doing? Dave was on the phone. He wasn't even talking to me. Dave, he goes, I'm on the phone. Will you be quiet? I can't hear because you keep talking. <laughs> remember that? Do you remember that? How could you forget? To which I said, hallelujah, and I went to sleep. It was awesome. I'm just saying, it's hard to be a Christian. That's what I'm saying. It's hard to do what, what God wants. It's hard. We have to dig deep into our soul. It's not easy to do what God says, but He's looking for the heart, the kind of heart that says, teach me, train me, change me. That's what He's looking for. At the beginning of the lesson, I asked you this. Would God choose you? And you know what the answer is? Yes. The answer is yes. He has. He has. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Would God choose you? The answer is yes! He did! So let us live up to the heart let us try. Let us, let us work to take on this heart of teach me, train me, change me. It is difficult, but we can do it. President Theodore Roosevelt said, it is not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself or herself in a worthy cause, who at the very best knows in the end triumph of high achievement, and who at the very worst, if he or she fails, at least fails while doing greatly so that his place, so that her place, shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Let us embrace the Master's method. Thank you very much. You've just listened to the Westchester Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.